0: Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and QA. Register for our newsletter at MichaelBenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning, everyone from California, and welcome to The Wisdom of the Soul. My name is Michael Benner. This is uh, Class 32. And today we're going to talk about critical thinking. This is uh, a very important topic for people who want to develop themselves, not only personally, but spiritually. Uh, As I mentioned in the newsletter this week, one of the primary distinctions between organized religion and philosophy is a concept that dances around faith versus fact. And while there's truth in both, it can be confusing because many of us, perhaps most of our friends and neighbors, have a hard time distinguishing the difference between a thought and a feeling. Conspiracy theories are, well, they've always been popular, but now more than ever, I think largely because uh, everyone has access to the internet, so um, it's become a great equalizer. It used to be you didn't have access to the media unless you were a high credible source. If you were uh, some sort of official, a spokesperson, an authority, an expert, a newsmaker, uh, then you might get your name in the paper along with a quote or on TV or radio or maybe write a book or an article in a magazine of some sort. But with the Internet, everybody gets an opinion. Everybody gets to post it out there. But now there's a new need for us not only to distinguish uh, the difference between thoughts and feelings and and what's what because opinions are very emotionally based. Uh, But um, how can we sort fact from opinion? And how can we, even more importantly, rise above our own biases and uh, prejudices and worldviews? And uh, this is an important part of any personal development or transpersonal uh, spiritual development. Debate's important in uh, in most buddhist traditions debate is encouraged monks and nuns are taught to debate to argue logically and uh and to do it with uh, uh, a great uh, reverence for the whole process there's <laughs> there's no name calling there's no anger there is no frustration it's i accept your premise or i reject your premise and uh It's a very formal and dignified uh, debate about spiritual issues and uh, the nature of reality and so on. So critical thinking is very important in all aspects of life. But even if we're here in this class, the nature of the soul or the wisdom of the soul, rather, um, perhaps the same thing. Uh, I used to teach a class called Nature of the Soul by Lucille Cederkranz. This is the wisdom of the soul. But in any event, let's study critical thinking just a little bit today. It's not going to be pithy. It's not going to be hard. I think you're going to really like it. Uh, Be prepared if you aren't already with something to write on and a pen or a pencil. Give us a review in our uh, podcast if you get a chance. Apple Podcast has reviews. And also, Podchaser has reviews, but we're on all podcast players, apps, and uh, directories. And uh, same with the YouTube video. If you can subscribe and uh, like and comment, we'd appreciate that too. So let's do our opening med. What do you say? Our opening meditation, and then we'll talk a little about critical thinking. Some real valuable little tips or bullet points for you. So get comfortable in your chair or your meditation pillow. Whether you're sitting up straight or in a yoga position, if you're in a chair or furniture, put your feet flat on the floor. Two, feel a gentle floating up, like waking up in the morning, like a scuba diver rising slowly toward the surface. And three, Eyes open, wide awake, better than before. Back in the room, feeling fine, rested, refreshed, better than before. Nice big breath. Take a big breath, and stretches. You exhale. Wide awake. All Thank you for that. I hope that makes sense to you. This idea of non-attachment. I run into so many meditations that are about mindfulness or vipassana, sometimes called insight meditation, that uh, don't really seem to emphasize the point here of of non-attachment. What's what's that about, to to be non-attached? And it's to uh, step back or to rise up and from that elevated perspective, see the bigger picture, the gestalt, the whole enchilada. Like, uh, you know, again, that feeling of insight and inspiration, revelation, epiphany, that, oh my God, I see what's going on here. You know, I guess we all know the story of the five blind men describing the elephant well imagine uh, that a person is not blind and that they're standing back far enough that they can see the whole elephant and then maybe rise up and see it from above and from the front the back the sides oh that's an elephant then you watch it behave you watch it with the other elephants How do we zoom out? How do we pull back? How do we rise up? How do we get that bigger picture? Relaxation. That's what meditation is. So when we open our eyes and move out into a stressful world, struggling against what seems to be done to us by others, completely beyond our control, largely beyond our influence, we get stressed and our vision narrows, don't you see? This whole brain process that goes with that, the amygdala hijack, higher brain functions are shut down in order to prepare you for battling the danger or the likelihood of danger, whatever it is that may be hiding in the confusion and the stress of that which you don't fully understand. And again, that's what anxiety and stress and fear are. It's not a danger necessarily. It's just that you don't know. Well, it's, the, it's the not knowing that causes the stress and the anxiety. And so when we most need these higher brain functions, they become least available to us, right? And we become cavemen. And that really leads us to our topic today. I wanna begin to talk about critical thinking And I'll share this uh, bullet point document I have with you on screen in a moment. I wanna begin by talking about conspiracy theories. Now, there have always been conspiracy theories even before we had uh, the internet and computers and algorithms that, I don't know that people fully understand how these algorithms work. If you ever get an opportunity sitting with a friend and you both have computers or iPhones or whatever that you can access the internet. If both of you Google the same term, notice that you get different Google results. Why would that be? Because they know you. <laughs> They've been watching you. They're recording all of your habits and dispositions and interests and fears And they're giving you more of what you have wanted in the past. So occasionally I will receive these links in emails from friends or postings uh, that I get, you know, Facebook Messenger or, or chat or email or whatever. And There'll be a link to something so bizarre and off the wall and totally paranoid, schizophrenic, nonsense and I wonder where where are you getting this stuff I don't see this stuff on my feed right it's because we all have our own algorithms personally designed so if uh you're concerned about 5G killing the honeybees next thing you know you get an article about 5G uh causing cancer and then you get an article that says It's in the vaccine. And there are these nano microchips in the vaccine that are going to affect your DNA and turn you into uh, some sort of monster, some sort of uh, democratic uh, robot or something. I don't know, some nonsense. And then we end up with Democrats eating babies and John Kennedy is going to rise from his grave and run with Trump. And it's just like, so absurd to any reasonable thinking person, and yet there are millions of people that suck this up. There were thousands of people in Dallas one day because John Kennedy was supposed to rise from his grave. People came from all over America in the car believing John Kennedy. How is this possible? And you say, well, these people aren't very smart. Well, in many cases they are. you want to think, well, and they're cruel and nasty and they're looking for cruel and nasty stuff no no we all have that ability or capability but often victims of conspiracy theories are very nice people and if you didn't get on the topic and you get along with them just fine you know and so what is this a lot of it is Uh, Explainable with a term that Stephen Colbert coined about 15 years ago when he was doing the old show before he took over for Letterman. He coined a term called truthiness, which is brilliant. Truthiness, as he defined it, is I know it's true because it feels like it ought to be. Um, What brilliant insight! So many people believe what they believe because of cognitive dissonance. People who know the federal election, the national election, that Joe Biden, who's been in politics all of his life, 45, 50 years or something, uh, he had 8 million more votes than Trump, but so many Trump people really believe the election must have been stolen in spite of any evidence at all. And all of the recounts and even Republican-led recounts that were unofficial and off the book in Arizona, they, they had to admit, yeah, Biden won. And that didn't persuade any of these people, right? They still, they live in a bubble. They just can't believe that their guy didn't win because the belief was based Not on critical thinking, but on emotions. They believe what they believe because that's the way they feel. Because it makes them feel wonderful or it terrifies the bejesus out of them or some combination of strong feelings, yin or yang. I know it's true because it feels like it ought to be. There's no critical thinking in that. If you remember six or eight weeks ago, we did a couple of classes, two or three in a row, about the distinctions between thoughts and feelings. And just as a simple place to land with this, your emotions tell you about you. They're subjective intelligence. And even though stimulated by other individuals or groups or conditions or events, Stimulated by externals, the emotion is still your personal response. If that nasty and decent person had said that same hurtful thing to 10 people, each of them would have responded in a slightly different way and been triggered and reminded of times in their past which are unique, and so everybody's going to respond differently. So the emotion is the response. It's yours. This is huge. And most people in this day and age will live, grow old, and die, and never figure this out. They will continue to obsess, because of this amygdala hijack, largely, on the stimulus, as if... You made me mad. I'm mad because you made me mad. You should have known that I was going to hold off and hit you. <laughs> a friend of mine was in a business meeting and, and this guy hauled off and cold cocked. One of the guys in the business meeting just punched him right in the face. And the next time they got together to mitigate and resolve to mediate the dispute, this guy said, well, He knows I'm a violent guy. It's his fault because he knew I was a violent guy and I probably would have hit him. I mean, complete lack of responsibility or ownership. He should have known that I was going to hit him. I'm a violent guy, unapologetic for it. (laughs) So even if we don't express our violence physically, there's a lot of violence in the way we get triggered by others and emotions are so contagious, aren't they? just remarkably contagious. If somebody walks into a room or you walk into a room where people are laughing, you immediately start giggling and chuckling and hey, what's going on? What's so funny here? Or if you happen upon an argument or a disagreement, even if it doesn't involve you, you can feel the tension in the air, can you not? You can, there's a heaviness on your body that you can't actually feel. And then if you get involved, and somebody gets angry at you, you're gonna respond most likely with anger. And if they get sympathetic and say, that's okay, I understand, then you get sympathetic. Somebody forgives you, then you forgive them. So contagious. But the whole issue is compounded by the fact that the vast majority of people do not own their emotional feelings and have a problem distinguishing how I feel from what I think. And while thinking is not necessary to living, <laughs> feeling is more of a portal to growth. It is an imperative in, in getting along in the world. There are times when you have to think and you clearly it's in your interest to think clearly, to solve a problem, to make a decision, When I say thinking is not necessary to living, it's not something you need to do all the time. And if you're always thinking and always solving a problem, you're working the program too hard. More meditation, more sitting back, more just watching. Watch your pets, your cats and your dogs. What do they do all day? They watch. Well, how boring, are are my cats and dogs bored because they just sit and watch? Well how much time do we spend sitting and watching the television? And if you can watch a bad movie for two hours, then why couldn't you just sit in the back porch and watch the sky for two hours and the birds and the butterflies and the bees and feel the wind in your hair and smell the fragrances carried upon those gentle breezes and watch the way the light plays through the trees and the off the distant mountains or whatever, just to wake up and slow down. You know, they used to say, stop and smell the roses, slow down. What's your hurry? The way people drive on the freeway, we often hear people say, Well, they must be trying to get to some place. And it always occurred to me, they're trying to get away from some place. I think the reason people speed on the freeway is they're running away. But that's just my, uh, my take on it. I don't mean to use it too broad of a brush. So we need to understand that our emotions are subjective. They're about us, the one who feels the emotion. You're not gonna discern an objective truth you're not going to get from understanding what your emotions say about you from thinking critically about yourself. So just as emotions don't tell you very much about the world or even who stimulated your feelings, but an enormous amount about yourself, your thoughts don't really tell you much about yourself. Why judge yourself? It's full of criticism and self-loathing and fears of inadequacy. and. That's not what thoughts are for. Thoughts are not for knowing yourself. Emotions are more for knowing yourself and the awareness beneath it all, more precisely. Thoughts are for knowing the world around you. That's why the only thing we're taught to do in school is think, and even then, to think logically and critically, but not intuitively. Intuitively. Critical thinking really embraces intuition. True critical thinking is not only logical, it's also intuitive. These are the two ways we think. Logic is general to specific. It's taking something that is known and breaking it down into pieces. The way you uh, balance a checkbook, the way you we mentioned this a couple of months ago, the way you order from a restaurant by eliminating. You look at a menu and you eliminate what you don't want to arrive at two or three choices. And then you just choose one of those intuitively. Um, my wife and, and uh, one of her daughters and my sister are all, all into Wordle and Uh, Dreen was showing me Wordly the other day and I was thinking, what a perfect example of deductive and inductive thinking. I don't know if you're familiar with the game, but you have to choose a uh, five-letter word and then the game tells you, the computer game tells you if any of the letters are in the word and whether they're in the right place. So, you start with a word with a lot of vowels in it, right? And maybe you don't get any of them, let's say. Well, you say, well, gosh, my word had an A and an I in it and uh, they're they're not in there. So what have I got? Just A, let's see, I have E O U, right? Sometimes Y. <laughs> so that's deductive logic, but then you choose a new word. Where's that come from? That's inductive logic. Well, let's see. And you roll your eyeballs up in your head and you look at the sky as if that's where the answer is. And um, you're looking for a new word. And that's specific to general. It's like I have these observed details and I'm trying to figure out the word. What's the big picture? So I thought, God, what what a fine example of both, of the deductive logic of, breaking things down from general to specific and the inductive logic of looking at what I do know and inducing some larger uh, overarching concept here, some greater understanding. In this case, uh, you know, what's the word that solves the, the puzzle for the day today? So let me bring up, give me a second here. Let me bring up a screen share this is not mine. This is something that I pulled from some work by Richard Paul. And uh, his assistant and co-worker in this is Linda Elder. Richard Paul is one of the best-known writers on the topic of critical thinking. And I've got to tell you, before you're rung out and buy one or more of his books, they are pithy. They, <laughs> they are really weighty and uh, college-level, grad school-level stuff. So what we have here, I mean, I'm admitting I find his stuff like very difficult to read. So fortunately, there are are some breakouts, and that's what I put together here today for you, that I think are really valuable, and uh, especially this first eight. Uh, The second eight we'll talk about in a minute have to do with the nature of reasoning and logic and um, uh, bullet points about uh, how how do we know if something is logical. But the first eight are matters, as you can see, of self-inquiry. And let's read through them and just talk about them briefly here. The first bullet point of self-inquiry and critical thinking is what we've just been talking about. Are you thinking from general to specific, which is deductive? We see the word parts in parentheses. In other words, breaking wholes into parts. Or is our thinking specific to general, which are whole concepts? This is inductive logic, Really difficult to talk about, but it also includes intuition. Deductive is general to specific, breaking holes into parts. Inductive logic is the opposite, the complement, specific to general. But how do you do that? It's a projection. It's a uh, a supposition. Uh, If this is true and this is true, then that's probably true. The problem is you have to have a large set of data to draw upon for uh, inductive logic to be of any value. We talked about this a few months ago. I won't dwell on it, but the idea um, uh, all crows are black. How do you know? Well, every crow I've ever seen is black. So therefore all crows must be black. That's inductive logic. But how many crows have you seen? oh, I don't know, half a dozen, maybe maybe 20 crows in my whole life. Well, that's anecdotal evidence. And so that's the weakness of inductive logic. But if you study, if you dedicate your, your life to, stu- <laughs> to studying crows and you've read every other book written by other experts on crows and nobody's ever found a crow that's not black, well, then it's increasingly safe to say all crows are black. Until I find an albino crow or a brown one, all crows are black. You're larger the set that you're extrapolating from, the safer you are uh, in making the claim. That does not mean that all black birds are crows, however. So this is the problem with that kind of logic. You've got to be very careful. Deductive we have down. That's That's easy. It's just... What are your choices? Eliminate what you don't want. Select from what's left, like ordering off a menu or balancing your checking account, you know, subtract the checks you've written to see what your new balance is. Algebra is ultimately deductive. Solving for x equals that's that's a deductive process or a deductive process. Intuition on the other hand is included in the idea of specific to general, right? If you close your eyes to promote intuition, what you might also think of as the source of your conscience, the part of you that knows right from wrong and good from bad and what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Conscience is part of intuition, but it knows more than right from wrong. It knows the right answers. And it will give you step-by-step approaches to things that you couldn't understand if just presented to you on a whole cloth. It's a wonderful talent and that we could get to the 21st century and still not be teaching intuition in schools. is shocking to me. But we're also not teaching awareness in schools. We teach concentration, but uh, badly, badly. Uh, sports psychology, oddly, is beginning to change this whole thing because the idea of uh, visualizing, of, of knowing what you want, of standing open and receptive, of, of, of performance improving as you relax, physical performance improves when you relax. So emotional awareness and mental performance, it, it seems would also benefit from relaxation. Just not trying so damn hard, right? Just sit back, relax. Let it occur to you, that's intuition, let it come to you. Oh, you know that saying, trust your first impression, that's another very good tip, provided you're relaxed. Now, if you're all stressed and tense and your eyes are open and blood pressure is peaking, you're not gonna get those intuitive hits. Nobody ever had a great idea in the middle of an argument or while they were hurting emotionally that's just you might resolve that i've got to do this or i guess i'm going to have to do that or i don't have any choice but this but you don't get these thunderous revelations these insights when you're all amped up and and full of angst and stress it's when you're relaxed it's when you're sitting on the patio or taking a shower or walking the dog that's where you get the great ideas and the insights So there's a great reason to meditate right there. That's why Vipassana, breath-watching, is often called insight meditation. Okay, so be aware of the distinctions between logic and intuition. Second bullet point, does your thinking have a significant or realistic purpose? Ask yourself, why am I thinking this? This is such a beautiful form of self-inquiry. Consider all the things that we spend time thinking about. And again, I know it's hard to discern sometimes between how you feel and what you think. There is a, a ping pong game going back, here, back and forth here, thought, 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 generating feelings, feelings. Stuck in the feelings, absorbed by the feelings. Think, 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 feeling, feeling, think, feeling, think, feeling, think, think, You know what I'm saying, right? Again, we're just spinning our wheels. It's like a car stuck in the mud, you know, with the snow and ice. You're not getting anywhere. You know the feeling. So take a breath and relax and ask yourself, first of all, Why am I doing this, this particular train of thought? These thoughts that are upsetting me, or these hurtful feelings that are generating thoughts? What's the significance? What's the purpose? Is it it real? Is there a reason that I'm doing this? Why am I doing this? That's such a handy tool. Number three, are you trying to answer a question or solve a problem? Sometimes those overlap. Sometimes answering a question is solving a problem, but often they're very different things. Simply asking yourself, which of these am I doing? Is there a question I have in mind that I'm trying to find an answer to, or is this really a problem for me that I need to find an answer to. What's my motive? Why am I doing this? Why am I thinking along these lines? By the way, any comments that you have, if you just put them in the chat box, Melinda will read them. We'll give you an opportunity to unmute and chat if you wish. But if you just put a question or a comment in the chat box, I'd really appreciate it. We'll go to that in just a few minutes. Number four. What assumptions are your thoughts based on? Again, very valuable. Re-examine the assumption that forms the foundation of these thoughts. mean, how many times do you find yourself saying, oh, wait a minute, oh, that's very different. Maybe you're engaged in conversation with someone. Oh, I just assumed that what you were saying, oh, I'm sorry, no, I've got this all wrong, you know. I just wasted the last 15 minutes arguing something that I didn't fully understand because of my assumption. Right? And again, that's part of, not necessarily part of intuition, but it's part of inductive logic to make assumptions. So examine them. What are you assuming? What are you taking for granted? What's the given here that may need some re-examination? And wouldn't it be cool to have this list, these these eight points handy, so you could check yourself out? Number five Do they include data, facts, experience, or opinions? I have in my book, Fearless Intelligence, a hierarchy of understanding that comes from business management, and it's called the DIKW hierarchy or the D-I-K-W pyramid. And at the base of the pyramid, the D stands for data. The next level is information as you move up the pyramid. Information is based on data, but it goes a little further, doesn't it? When you begin to organize the data, consider data as being similar to words. And information is sentences. You're, start, you're starting to put your data into a form that informs you. So the data becomes information. The K in D-I-K-W is knowledge. Now that data that led to information is becoming a knowledge base. So the words that became sentences are now paragraphs and chapters, right? DIK, data, information, leading to knowledge. Well, what could be higher than knowledge? Wisdom, which is the highest form of understanding. Knowledge is knowing what you know. Wisdom is an awareness of what you do not yet know. It includes what you know, but it goes beyond. To what do I not understand? It's a quality of humility. Becoming wise makes you humble. Becoming humble adds to your wisdom. If you need to have the right answer, you're not going to be very good at understanding. To enhance understanding, give up the need to be right. And anytime you're engaged in an argument, put much more emphasis on listening to the person you disagree with and acknowledging what you're hearing from them, even if you don't agree, whether you uh, whether you agree with them or not, is is uh, irrelevant. Do you understand them? Can you acknowledge that and play it back to them? Gee, I hear that. What you're arguing here, what you're saying, is this and this and this. Is that right? Okay. That's a, that, that's a very powerful thing. I'd like to revisit that whole idea of understanding being superior than the need to be right. You don't need to be right. That's just ego nonsense. Part of the spiritual path is giving that up. Who cares if you're right? Only the ego cares. Do you understand? And just because you understand somebody doesn't mean you need to agree. Number six, what's your particular point of view? POV is point of view. What's your particular point of view? What's your take on this? What's your angle? What does your experience bring you to that gives you unique and personal insight into whatever you're attempting to understand or figure out here? Account for that, adjust for the fact that, well, I have a lot of experience here that other people don't have, though it is my experience, not theirs. or you say to yourself, gosh, I must admit, I'm really out of my depth here. I, 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 I don't really have any idea what's going on in this area. Number seven, are you aware of your inferences and interpretations? Inference and imply are complementary terms. You know, other people imply, but we infer So an inference is what I presume or take from what I've heard or read or what I'm getting. And those are extensions or developments upon what's been offered to you. And sometimes we get those confused. And we may say to the person that we're having the discussion with or the argument, yeah, but you said, and they go, no, I didn't say that. Well, yes, you did. No, I I didn't say that. And if we look at it carefully, we see, oh, well, I just, this is like the assumption before, I just inferred from what you said, yeah, well, that's not critical if you're not double-checking your inferences and your interpretation. So ask, am I interpreting this right? You know, well, I'm inferring, maybe you're implying, let me ask, does this mean da-da-da-da, right? And number eight, are you aware of the implications and the consequences? Essential to critical thinking is, what's going to happen? Where are we going with this? If I arrive at this decision and take this action, what are the consequences of that? And to think that through before you act is something that you need to be safe and relaxed in order to do. The more stressed, the more cranked, the more anxious and fearful we are, the less likely we are to consider the consequences. We react reflexively and then suffer the consequences that we had never anticipated. A very important part of critical thinking is, to look ahead. And similarly, what are the implications of this? Where else can we take this? What does this touch upon? Now, that's pretty, that's pretty much what I wanted to show you. I'm gonna read these others, just read them through. These are pretty self-explanatory. What he's saying here is you can recognize logic and all reasoning by these values logic, reasoning always has a purpose. What is my purpose? It's not just random thoughts, that's not critical thinking. Does it have a purpose? Is it an attempt to figure something out, to settle a question or to solve a problem? Or is it just garbage and nonsense spinning around inside your head, a patchwork of crazy thoughts from all over the place? Three, logic or reasoning is always based on some assumptions. There has to be a premise or or a presumption or an assumption made. But know that it's an assumption, it may not be factual. You may need to change your mind about it. Isn't that an interesting phrase, change your mind? All reasoning is done from some point of view (laughs) Right? You may think you're being completely unbiased and objective. That's virtually impossible. So own your point of view. Yeah, well, I feel strongly about this, or this is not that important to me, or acknowledge that. Reasoning is always based on data, information, and evidence. Memorize those three. Data, information, and evidence. Logic is always expressed through and shaped by concepts and ideas. Number seven, contains information by which we draw conclusions and give meaning to data. Logic always contains inferences that allow us to draw conclusions and give meaning to data. And finally, lead somewhere. (laughs) has implications and consequences, as we discussed before. You know, number eight on the first list, are you aware of the implications and consequences, is also number eight on the second list. Logic leads somewhere to some implication or consequence. So that's just a few bullet points to help you be a better critical thinker. Uh, to examine your thought hmm. process. Rather than think about thinking, to observe yourself thinking, that's a very different thing than thinking about thinking, isn't it? Because when we're lost in our thoughts and we think about thinking, that leads to thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking about thinking, about thinking, about thinking. and it's just a ball of confusion. It, it leads to more stress Uh, less critical thinking, and uh, kind of madness, actually. And often the feeling that we don't even have any control over our thought process, but to be aware of ourselves thinking, to be aware of the thought process, to take a breath, let go, (laughs) relax, step back, and watch your mind think, and don't be the thinker, but be the watcher, be the awareness of the mind thinking, This is so, I implore you to consider this. I am not the thinker, I'm the awareness of my thought. You're also not your feelings and you're not your behavior and you're clearly not what's done to you and you're not your body. And uh, (laughs) we're more than all of that. We are that, but we're so much more and in a very fundamental way. We are the awareness. You know, we can say, oh, we're all one. Reality is an illusion. and There's so many different ways to try to take our sense of self as an individual and seek or aspire to understand ourselves as part of the oneness of all things. But maybe a better way to go about it is to know that you are the one peeking out through your awareness, and to be the observer rather than the thinker, the feeler, the doer, the one that's been done to to identify as the awareness. That in the literature is called I am, or in Hinduism in Sanskrit, tisvat asi. Thou art that, I am that, there is nothing here. That you are not, but that's really difficult to comprehend. The brain's job is to make us believe that we're separate. And it does a fine job of that, doesn't it? So, uh, critical thinking, that's all.